0: Good morning folks, come on in, it's a pleasure, privilege to be able to welcome you this morning on a beautiful day to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church, so welcome. Now I hope you'll agree with me that Sundays are always special, but every now and then they're just a little bit extra special. And today we're looking forward to celebrating the baptism of Marigold Finley in a little while. So if you're a visitor, just know that you're especially welcome, and uh, we hope you'll be uplifted and inspired with your, in your time with us today. Now, talking of which, just looking around for some help, why are we gathered here? Is it because we're all good people? Or, and this is where good people go? No, (laughs) it's not. I don't think so. In fact, we come here because by our own confession, we fall short of the glory of God. And I think that's the politest way that the Bible puts it. And moreover, we've realized that we can't afford the price of making good the failures that we have. But we've accepted the solution that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And so we can gather here with a common motive to thank and praise the one who saved us and gave us a new eternal life. So praise God. Now what should that look like then in terms of our response to this amazing realization of God's grace to us? Well, listen to these words from Psalm 100. His steadfast love endures forever and, in, and his faithfulness to all generations. So let's pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, you are mighty and powerful and full of grace and mercy. We confess that we are far from perfect and have got many things wrong. And thank you for your saving grace through our Christ our Lord. We thank you for the privilege and joy of meeting together, and we ask that you would accept our offering of praise and worship at this time. In the name of Jesus we pray.
1: Amen. Please do take a seat, and we're going to read now from God's Word. Uh, The verses that we're going to read um, have been printed in the the bulletin, if that's the right word to use, um, that you maybe picked up on the way in, so you can follow there, uh, or you can look up Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 35 down to verse 41. Mark chapter 4, from verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat, just as He was, And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? A few years ago uh, when we were heading off on a long car journey on holiday, Uh, we decided to break up the journey with an overnight stay in a guest house. It was about halfway down the road. When you've got small kids, it makes life a little bit easier to break up the journey. You know the kind of thing. And it was an idyllic setting, and it was a huge room that we had, yet it was cold. The room seemed to be covered from top to bottom in dog hair The kids did not not sleep at all that night. The shower had all the strength of a watering can and the breakfast was almost non-existent. We just wanted to leave as soon as we could and so we did. And as we were leaving, what is the most important question of all that was asked in the car? Whose idea was it to come here? (laughs) And you know, the only person who ever asks that question is the one who knows it wasn't their idea, right? No, I'm not going to say who asked. And I, th- I reckon as this boat that we've read of in Mark chapter 4, as it was filling up with water, you know, as it's very structure threatened to give way as the waves battered it, and it seemed for all they could see that this was going to be their last day on planet earth, they were going to die surely, that in their heads they're thinking, whose idea was it to come here? It was Jesus' idea. He seemed to, at the start of the passage we read, casually suggest Let's go over to the other side. You see, Jesus had been sitting in that boat most of the day. It was the only way He could address the large crowd that had come to Him wanting to hear His teaching. He'd got in the boat, pushed off from the shore, and He taught them while they were all on the seashore. And at the end of the day, where we pick up the story, He has His disciples set sail for the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which really is a large lake. I don't know, something like 10, 12 kilometers wide at its widest part. And Jesus was tired. So we read of him sleeping soundly as could be. And how that must have additionally frustrated his followers. You can just imagine, can't you? The one who got them into this mess is the one who's sound asleep, oblivious to the problems that we're all facing. And I think it's that that comes to the fore. They, they seem to lose their rag, don't they, with this teacher. Do you not care that we're perishing? How can you be sleeping at a time like this? This little picture of Jesus that we've, we've, we've taken time to read this morning, it's part of a larger work. It's part of this gospel of Mark which is itself an account of the the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's written to us with this clear aim of showing us who Jesus is. And this little snapshot is an important part of that. Mark, if you were to read the previous chapters, he's already shown us that uh, Jesus has power to cast out evil spirits, He's got power to heal diseases. He's got power to forgive sins even. He's got power to teach with authority. And here's this new dimension. And it's one that demands we all sit up and pay attention, I think. It demands some kind of response from the disciples in the boat, but for each one of us sitting here today as well. And it might surprise you that the first thing I want you to see are the the most insignificant details of all. There are two really insignificant details that I spot in this story. The first one is in verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, that means he didn't go home and get changed first, they took him just as he was, and other boats were with him. Other boats were with him. The the other insignificant detail is in verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Now, I say they're insignificant details because, well, we've read the story, and those details play no part in the story. If You took those details out, you would still understand what the main part of the story was. It wouldn't affect it at all, right? And they don't seem to possess any deep symbolic significance, not one that we could be sure of. No, we're told of the other boats and the cushion because these are the recollections of someone who was there. And that might seem like a small thing, but that's really important for us. Because you know how these stories go, don't you? It's a bit like, uh, oh yes, I I remember the first time I met so-and-so because, you know, well, I'd bought shoes the day before and I had a blister on my foot. But anyway, you know, that's how stories go, isn't it? We laden them with these insignificant details sometimes. And they're there to flesh out the story. And these details only come because someone was there. They saw it. You know, this part of the Bible that we're reading from was written about 30 years after these events that they describe, drawn from the recollections of those who were there. And so I want to say to you today, if you have never read the Bible before, or if you've heard things about Jesus but never really looked into it yourself, this is where you start with these ancient documents which record what the eyewitnesses saw. Take it and read it. Someone from this church will read it with you if that would help. This is where to start. Anyway, to the storm. When you get to the end of this little story and you see this great power of Jesus, you know, He rebukes the wind and the waves and it all goes still, your mind then needs to go back to the start of the story again and you think, well, hang on a minute. Jesus sent them out into the sea, and if Jesus has this sort of power over the weather and the sea, then He must have known what He was sending His followers into. This is not some random event that takes place. No, Jesus sends His disciples into this dangerous storm so that He might show them something, so that He might reveal Himself to them, And that's what these verses are all about. Jesus is awoken by the disciples, and He is the most unfazed man on earth, isn't He? He wakes up, the elements battering the boat, the elements battering Him even, and He simply says, peace, be still, and like that, the wind disappears. The sea is flat calm. I mean, this just doesn't happen. I mean, even if you stir a cup of tea, it takes many seconds for it to settle down. Never mind if you're on the Sea of Galilee, like that, calm. This is raw power that comes from Jesus, released simply by Him speaking. But it's more than just power. We can be more specific than that here on show is Jesus' identity. Throughout the Bible there are occasions when we read of the sea being supernaturally controlled. We read of the sea even being rebuked like we see in this passage. And throughout the Bible there is only one person who does that kind of thing to the sea, and it is God. You may know the story about how Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. Well, the way that the Israelites remembered that was like this. This is recorded in Psalm 106. God rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. And in fact, in the very next Psalm, there's another story told about what God does. Sounds very familiar. What do you think of this? some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet." This is what God does. In fact, we could go further and say this this is what God alone does. He commands the wind and the sea. And they obey. And so, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He sends His disciples into this violent storm so that He could show them that He is God. He could show them that this is no mere man that sleeps in the boat beside them. This is God. Of course Jesus could command the forces of nature Jesus created it all if He's God, and in fact, the Bible tells us God created everything how? By speaking, commanding things into being. All of these things belong to Him. Of course, He has control over them, and it all begs the question, doesn't it? You've got to ask, well, why? Why is God here sleeping in a boat on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago? Why? And the answer is because there is another storm that is raging. In fact, it's raging right now, right here in this room, there is a storm raging. And it's one that many of us seem not to be aware of most of the time, yet from time to time it rears its head in our lives and it batters us. The storm is this, we are not right with God. That is the storm that is raging right now. We are not right with God. The storm is created because of the kind of creatures that we are. We are what the Bible calls sinners. That means that we think and we say and we do the things that suit us and please us. That's most important to us. Does it suit me rather than does it please God? And that's what separates us from God, because human beings were made by God, made to live for God, and every one of us, we go our own way. And this is what the Bible calls sin. It separates us from God and it means we deserve nothing from God except His judgment, because we've rejected Him. We've said, I don't need you, God. I can be my own God. I can make up my own mind and set my own rules for what is right and wrong. He should pour out His judgment upon us. And while we reject Him, that is the storm that is raging in your life right now. We are in the most dangerous and devastating storm of all. And there are times when we feel the power of it. We might not always think we're aware of it, but when we fear death, when we realize we have no hope beyond death, we feel the intensity of that storm. When we really struggle to find some kind of meaning to life, we find ourselves at the heart of that storm. When we cry out at just how unfair the world is that we're living in, we're getting a glimpse of what it is to be in that storm. These are some of the places where it surfaces. But deep down, it is the biggest issue of all. We don't know God. We're not right with God. And Jesus has come to change that forever. I reckon the words of his disciples here, if you're following, it's in verse 38. When they wake him up, you imagine it wasn't a gentle, uh, Jesus, you know, they shake him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I reckon those words would have hurt Jesus deeply. I believe that. I believe he was hurt Deeply by those words. Because it's precisely because they are perishing that he's here. He's come to fix our greatest problem. And in order to fix this greatest problem that we are separated from God, Jesus needed to do more than speak. I mean, we see how powerful his words are here, but not even his words would be powerful enough to fix this problem. No, he has to give himself. He has come to give himself. He has come to stand in our place, to endure the penalty that we deserve. And that led Him to death. Death nailed to a Roman cross, abandoned by God. And God was pleased to accept His own sacrifice, as we've seen pictured in this baptism, because He raised Jesus from the dead. All of the shame, all of the suffering that should have been mine was heaped on Jesus at the cross. And so yes, disciples, Jesus does care that you're perishing because He's going to perish in your place so that all who come to Him believing, they find forgiveness and they find eternal life with Him. Now not surprisingly when you've witnessed something like these disciples did in Mark chapter 4. You come to the end of the story, and how are they feeling? They're filled, verse 41, with great fear. Many times in the Bible it speaks about fearing God, and it speaks about it as a really positive thing, thats a good thing, to fear God. And that fear that it speaks of is a reverent fear of, in, in, in terms of the awesomeness of who God is. That's not the kind of fear that's described here in Mark 4. This is a cowardly, terrified fear. And it's not what Jesus wants from them. Look at what He says to them in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I suppose what's presented here is a, is a, is a, is a, is a fork in the road. Here we're confronted with the awesome power of God as it reveals His true identity that He is God who has come to us to save us. And as we stand before God in the very presence of God today, what are we filled with, fear or faith? What are we going to do with this Jesus? Who has come to rescue the perishing? Jesus wants his followers to believe in him, to trust him, to know that his ways are always the best ways, even when it leads them into a storm. So, for all of us today, we look on at Jesus who commands the wind and the waves, and they obey him. Maybe you're here today. You've never trusted Jesus Christ. This Jesus has come for someone like you. Whatever your history, whatever your struggles, whatever your fears, He has come for someone like you today. He calls you to believe in Him and to find forgiveness, to be right with God. There's many of us here who do belong to Jesus, we have trusted Him, and many of you feel like you're battered in the storm even as we speak. Look again at the One who is with you, the One who commands the wind and the waves if we spent as much time looking to him as we did trying to calm our own storms, you know, we're like um, like King Canute standing on the shore, aren't we, commanding the tide to hold back. That didn't end well for him. When we have with us the one who commands the wind and the sea, we have God himself. He is the one who has promised to keep you till the end. And while the storm may batter on and on, what He can do and what He does do is He brings peace to the heart of those who trust Him. The best thing I can do for any of you here today, for myself included, is to say, look at Jesus. This is why we want to read a passage of Scripture like this, because really He is the focal point, and we we strive to make Him the focal point of everything that we do here, because He is the only way back to God. And sometimes in our struggles, in our storms, we dare to say, where is God? Does He not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? And God can say, I am the only one who cares that you're perishing, for I've sent my Son to be your Savior. Stop serving yourself, turn and come to Him, whatever your age. And of course, it would be remiss for me not to mention this open pool that lies to my left here. If we've made that profession of faith, this is how He calls us to show that forth to be baptized, to say, yes, I, am, I have died with Jesus Christ and I live in the new life that He gives. Let me urge you to turn to Jesus Christ, that there is this great hope that actually one day He'll return. We were just singing about that. One day He will return and every storm will be stilled. Every war will be ended. Cancer will be gone forever. Death will be gone forever. Every tear will be dried. This is the promise He gives to all who will come to Him in simple faith, believing that He is who He says He is. He's done what He said He will do, and He's done it for you. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank You for Jesus. Thank you for just the clarity of a passage like this, where we are left in no doubt that this is not just some moral teacher, but actually from those who were there in the boat, they could tell us this is the one who commands the wind and the sea. We thank you that Jesus has come to be a Savior. He's come to to bring your grace to us, to cleanse us from sin and to bring us back to you. Oh, Father, I pray that every one of us would know the joy that comes from knowing you, from walking with Jesus, even in the eye of the fiercest storm. As we thank you for him, in his own name, amen. Just as we close, please do stay with us for tea and coffee. You'd be very welcome. And if there's anything that's been said or done in the service today that you want to speak about, or if you would value prayer, I'll be down in this corner here. I'll be very happy to spend some time with you there. Um, It's our custom here sometimes to say the words that are going to appear on the screen to each other as we close our service. So we're going to do that now. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. And amen. Thank you.